and salute we'll always recognize when we see old glory flying there's a lot of men dead so we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our head <coughs> my daddy served in the army we lost his right eye but he flew a flag out in our yard Welcome back to The Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here by our host and star of this show, Bob Schaefer. This is Touch Em All, episode 450 on the network. Before we bring Bob on, just want to thank a couple of groups. Jaw Bats, RVG at checkout will get you a discount on a brand new maple bat or any of their merchandise for that matter. Tanner's using his M110 model, lefty and righty. <laughs> Loves it. Uh, Jeff Fry used his down in fantasy camp. His C271, I believe, hit a double on the pole side in his first at-bat. Also, thank you to Millions, our new marketing partner. Our merchandise dropped yesterday. Uh, hoodies, T-shirts for both men and women, and, and nice hats. Check it out there. We put it up on social media yesterday. So um, that's a great Valentine's gift if you haven't gotten your Valentine's Day gift yet uh, for your significant other. And then uh, the voting has has stopped and dropped with uh, the two awards we were up for. So we appreciate being nominated. We'll find out if we win anything, but just happy to be a part of the podcast world with the big dogs out there and be recognized. Uh, stay tuned for our uh, potential, or not our potential, our partnership with Bo Net, Tremendous Net. We'll be announcing more on that toward the end of the week. And then uh, really want to pump a, a product that we're using right now and, and we're going to be doing some special clinics with throughout the year, Kinetic Arm. Uh, Jason Collar has, has uh, put together the most innovative arm device for pre-care and post-care and during care. Again, my son Tanner is using one right now, a tremendous product. We'll hear more from Jason. If you haven't heard his episode, not this past Friday, but the Friday before with Jeff Fry, uh, you know, lots of information on that. I encourage you to go back and listen. So with that, Bob, welcome back. Happy Valentine's Day. I did not want to play uh, any type of lovey-dovey music for us, even though we have a good friendship here. I didn't know if we were to that point yet. So I, uh, I kept it, uh, Toby Keith, American patriotic today. That's good. I like that music, but it's Valentine's day, a special day. And I figured for a special day, I want a special guest and that's you. So oh, God, there you go. That's the most romantic thing anybody said. <laughs> so, uh, but today, uh, today our, our show, we, we wanted to put aside, we get a lot of questions on the show. A ton of them get posed to me, but in, in reality, a lot of them are directed toward you and what you do. Cause our first half of your shows before the guests was really like an online clinic. So I, uh, we decided to halt the guest today and do a mailbag session for you to, to put some things out there to answer some questions for the audience uh, on things, especially with spring training coming up. But, but you had a couple of things you wanted to get out early. Is that, is that right? Or do you want me to go right to the mailbag? Well, go to it. But like, you know, I, I heard it once from uh, a baseball guy. He said, the best thing about the Super Bowl is baseball starts right after that. Yeah. But the Super Bowl was a great game. And, uh, yeah, Mahomes is unbelievable, but both teams played well, and it was. Uh, I don't think either team lost it, but Kansas City definitely won it, so it was a great game. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, you know, we talk analytics a lot, and football has it uh, has has been inundated by it longer than baseball. And uh, I was I was surprised again. I'm not a football coach. I don't like second guessing coaches, but I was real surprised with the, with the dominance of McCaffrey in the first half. That the 49ers didn't come out and just run, 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 run. They Nine of their first twelve plays were passing plays. Um, that was uh, that was confusing to me. But again, Shanahan knows better than I do. I would imagine. Yeah. Well, sometimes I, I'm not a big football 
knowledgeable guy. I coached in high school, you know, assistant coach, but it seems like sometimes they try to trick the other team rather than just go with your strength. It's like a pitcher. Yeah. Instead of pitching to his strengths, he tries to trick the hitter. You know, if the guy can't hit a breaking ball, he tries to throw breaking balls. The pitcher has a bad breaking ball. He still tries to throw it and the guy whacks it. But, uh, yeah, to me, you got to go with your strength and then uh, work off his weakness later on. But uh, like you said, you know, he was dominating the running game, and all of a sudden they started passing a little bit more. But uh, I'm glad they did. Yeah. I was rooting for the Chiefs. Oh, okay. Well, you got you got it. <laughs> well, how, how much of that kind of segue into baseball? Now, how much of that was is similar to what we're seeing in baseball now where we're watching a pitcher throw, and he's doing everything but what we think would be common sense. And, uh, and a part of it, a lot of it's scripted. Right, he's, he's he's throwing pitches, regardless of what happens at the batter, uh, and I, we saw that in football, I think, in the Super Bowl a little bit. But are you seeing that more and more now, as as you you know you're, you'll be moving away from the game a little bit from a hands-on standpoint, but still be involved? But do, do you see that a lot with the pitchers, or did you see that a lot where things were? Well, I saw it a lot when I was scouting toward the end of my scouting career, and uh, I remember one day we had one of our uh, analytical guys at Washington, and. Those guys are good. They didn't really get in, interfere with us. They had their own opinions and everything. And a lot of them want to know what we knew to help them know what they have to know. <clears throat> but anyway, he talked to Scherzer one day and he says, Scherzer, let me tell you what, you're hitting 128 off your slider. You ought to throw more sliders. But he didn't understand the reason he had 128 because he threw a lot of fastballs, changeups, and the slider was almost a surprise pitch to a hitter. So he didn't overdo it. Now, if he overdid it, they probably start looking slider and they start whacking a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So <clears throat> the analytics sometimes get confused as far as, you know, just because it works. But the fact it works is because you set that pitch up. Yeah, there's a context. And we had a catcher in Kansas City who was a great catcher. When he first came up, he had no clue how to get guys out. In those days, me and the pitching coach sat down and, you know, decided how we get guys out. And there was, you know, a few, few hitters, like a lot of them said, you got to throw a breaking ball down and away, like a slider, maybe a curveball, but keep it down and away for a right-handed hitter. <clears throat> well, all of a sudden, this guy's calling a game. He goes right to it. Instead of setting it up with fastballs in or so forth, he goes right to it. And he got so bad at it because he just memorized and down and away fastball. But that's a two-strike pitch, not a no-strike pitch. And uh, as it turned out, he had a pretty good career and a real good career. And he was one of the best catchers as far as calling a game the game had. So, you know, it takes a while to learn. But then again, it shows you that you got to set something up to get something. Yeah. yeah. There's, and that's the biggest issue I have with analytics. It's not analytics, the information. <laughs> It's that you've got to turn it into intelligence, and you don't do that without conversations like that, like you were having with with your analytics guys. And you got to put it in a context, in a vacuum. We can make anything look like we want uh, right. to, to, but um, you know, with so with with. And I, I got one more question about the analytics. I'm moving this up the the ladder because it fit into the conversation. But in terms of learning the game <laughs> for this this uh, scripted memorization. Um, no context type of pitching approach and, and really everything else in the field. Kids are flipping wristbands <laughs> off, reading numbers, reading colors based on, you know, pitch to pitch. It, it drives me crazy. Um, the, it, everything is being scripted and joysticked by either, you know, somebody above, basically. Does that inhibit learning? Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, I think when coaches call every pitch like they do in college, I understand, even high school maybe, you never learn. I mean, <clears throat> I managed in the minor leagues uh, – I, I never – I asked the catcher, why'd you call that pitch? If he had a good reason for it, then it's okay. Well, it didn't work, but at least he had a good reason for it. But for me to call every pitch, there's no he's ever going to learn. You know, before an inning, I might go out there, him and the pitcher get together and say, okay, you got so-and-so coming up. 
you know, he's a bad breaking ball hitter, but get ahead with a fastball, locate it down and away or whatever, get ahead, then you get him out with a breaking ball. But you have to lead up to it. And the analytics, they don't know the progression, just like their theory on bun for, uh, bunning, sacrifice bunning. It's sacrifice bunning is a bad play because you give him an out. Well, early in the game, I agree with that. You want to get all your outs, you want to get big innings, so forth. But late in the game, when you sacrifice the guy in the scoring position, you're one base hit away from winning the game. And plus, you put pressure on the pitcher. You put pressure on the infielders, keep the ball in the infield. So, you know, avoid getting a hit. And and that's where they get, you know, raw stats uh, interfere with common sense stats, they call them. So, again, I mean, pitchers, I see pitchers on spring training now. They got a, I don't know, some kind of machine out there that measures all your spin rates. Well, let me tell you, the spin rate is good if it goes over the plate. If it doesn't go over the plate, it's not too good. Right. And I, I had some young kids. I watched them spin train a couple of years ago, and I heard a coach say, you got to get a little better spin rate. Well, he bounced the ball about 58 feet away. So, you know, it's still a touch. It's still a learn how to pitch. Spin rates are spin rates. There's no doubt that, you know, the higher the spin rate, probably more movement on the pitch and everything else. But if you can't throw it over the plate or throw it to a location, it doesn't matter what the spin rate is. Yeah, we're, lo- we're losing focus on what's important. That's the, what they say, make make the main thing the main thing all the time. Right. They certainly don't. It's m- more like a carnival. Well, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad I got my notes out because you're touching on topics. Like, and, and for the audience, Bob has no idea what I'm going to ask him today from the mailbag. This is impromptu. So I'm moving, moving something <laughs> up here. You've got young coaches out there. Well, I say young coaches that are coaching young kids. So grassroots kids to high school. And I even consider college kids young kids now that I'm, now that I'm on the other side of 50 here. But uh, how, how do you prepare for that inning? So they, they've got that crutch of, hey, we're going to script everything. It takes <clears> thinking <throat> out of it. They don't have to have any responsibility towards it. You touched on it a little bit with conversations, but um, when a pitcher comes off the mound, you're already starting to talk to him about the next inning, that what happened in the next inning. Kind of go through that a little bit. What, what, what conversations take place when that pitcher and catcher come off the mound to help them learn? And then how do you move them back out to the mound the second, the next inning to, to keep that learning going? Well, first of all, when I coach, I coach high school and I manage the minor leagues, of course. But I wasn't smart enough to sit in the dugout and call a pitch because, first of all, I don't know what kind of movement he has for sure. I don't know what you know how good he feels. I mean, to me, it's the catcher's job to call a game. Like I said, if you don't like the, uh, the pitch he called, just ask him why. If you get a good reason, that's okay. But they have to have a plan. And the plan sometimes changes from inning to inning or even pitch to pitch. But if they see that the pitcher can't get the ball like cross corner on a fastball, then maybe you got to try something else. And keep working on it. Try to get the target a little bit more outside so you can get the ball down and away. I mean, down and away fastball is probably the best fastball, as well as now with that launch angle the hitters are using. Elevated fastball is good. But you have to know a sequence. You have to set it up. And uh, like I said, you know, it just shows you what the like, raw stats really don't win games. But I talked to a junior college coach maybe 15 years ago, and we we're talking baseball, having a few cocktails. And uh, I said, you call a, you call a game? He says, yeah, I call every pitch. I said, how are you smart enough to call every pitch? I said, you as a head coach, you're the manager. There's other things you got to watch besides the pitcher and the catcher. I said, you let the catcher call the game. The fun part of the game for a catcher is to call the game. I saw a minor league catcher with one of the top prospects of the Yankees now looking at dugout for every pitch. So the pitching coach was calling every pitch. And I said, how can you develop talent when you're calling every pitch for the guy? But that's how some coaches are. They want to control everything. And therefore, they take to me, take some of the fun away from the game. I mean, I know one of the shortstop, 
fun part of me playing shortstop was I'm going to cheat in a hole, cheat up the middle, try to take a base hit away. And I could read the swing and kind of tell by the way the guy swings. Where's the pitcher? The pitcher can't get the ball across corner, opposite away, the hitter's probably going to pull the ball. But that's that's the fun part of the game. And I think coaches should teach guys, you know, what to look for in your, when you're in the field rather than whip out a thing out of your back pocket and tell you where to, where to play. And uh, it's just, I mean, the fun part is a game within game. And the fun part of the game is to look at what's going on, look at the score. The scoreboard will tell you everything, the inning, the outs, what the score is, of course. And then you got to play accordingly. And uh, I think it's too scripted sometimes where they, they go into a game with a script and all of a sudden things change and they use the same script. I mean, you know, your, your eyes and your head and your, your stomach will tell you what, what you should do. I think you bring up a great point. As you're talking about, I'm getting flashbacks when I was a kid and that was the fun stuff of the game, the thinking it, the trying to figure it out, the learning. And, you know, as, as young kids growing up and I've, uh, I've often been told I have oppositional defiance, right? I don't like to be told what to do. So I'd be bad in this analytics world. Um, mm-hmm. being told what to do, but, uh, my, my son Tanner, as we know, we talk about him on the show. He's a catcher. My, my older <laughs> son blue is a shortstop and they play together, even though, uh, you know, they're in, uh, Tanner I was asked one time cause he, he, he doesn't look over to the dugout during the innings. It's his, it's his field. He's got to command the field. He's playing with older kids. And, uh, one of the umpires asked him, he goes, your dad tell you what to do on every pitch. And, he, and he's like, every now and then he'll offer a suggestion in which I will, um, yeah. You know, and uh, I'll do that through our shortstop. I'll, I'll kind of tip our shortstop off, which will something where Tanner will look over, where I'm not yelling his name. Um, but I, and and I said, tell tell him what you told me. And I, his his thought is, I've got the best view on the field. I can see everything. He can't see it over there on the third base side or the first base side. I've got the best view, so I've got to I've got to do it. And and uh, the guy asked me, he goes, do you make mistakes? He goes, oh, a ton. He's like, but uh, it's fun. That's how I get better. And uh, he's, he's like, how is, he, how is he when you make mistakes? He's like, he's teaching me. That's part of it. He, he learned. He goes, the only thing he gets pissed off is if I make it again. So, uh, right. you know, it's uh, – but, yeah, that's, as you were saying that, I was starting to get that, yeah. that feeling when I was a kid, you know, moving around. Even as, as, a, as a college player and professional player, I wasn't joysticked. You got to play. And, um, I often think – I think you're right on. I think that's part of the fun that's being lost when kids say baseball is not fun. Well, no kidding. You got a wristband. It's telling you, okay, move to your life. No kid wants to be told what to do. Go no. play. But teach them how to read a swing uh, and just like use their, use their imagination and then you can question it. But if they have a reason for throwing that pitch, well, then you got to accept it. It didn't work, but you had to accept it. But for you to, as a coach to call every pitch, you're defeating the fun part of the game. And uh, the catcher's got to feel like, you know, what the hell good am I? And you just part of being a catcher is learning how to call the game. And every pitcher is different. Every hitter is a little different. Some days the pitcher is different as the same pitcher because it can't get this over, that over. It doesn't feel right. The touch isn't right for a breaking ball and so forth. So you have to improvise, you know, pay attention to the game, improvise, and go from there. Yeah. So what – now, again, I'm skipping around again on the notes, but uh, as far as your pregame prep <laughs> for pitchers, we talked about pre-inning, post-inning, pregame prep for pitchers, catchers, fielders. Nowadays we see, you know, spreadsheets, these big – you know, three ring binders and notebooks that people are flipping through in the dugout, iPads. What kind of pregame prep did you go through with your pitchers and catchers to prepare for, you know, the scouting report for that that particular day? What, what did that entail? Well, in high school, really had no pregame. You just, you know, pitch to your strength. You get to minor leagues, you have a little bit of maybe spreadsheets. or not really spreadsheets, but I used to keep three-by-five cards about, you know, where guys hit the ball and uh, 
you know, what pitch they hit and so forth. But, you know, nowadays they have all kinds of stuff. And to me, that's all it is, confusion. You confuse the pitcher, you confuse the catcher. They try and think, okay, 85% of the time he throws a curveball or, or a slider, say, which some guys do, which is a lot. But uh, most of them, you know, more, more and more to stay in age, it's all more breaking balls and fastballs, which I don't agree with that at all. But that's what they do because you get more guys out with, with breaking balls. But, and I see it down here in this Florida State League. I mean, they throw a lot of breaking balls. And I remember saying, that's the announcer, the radio, radio guys, why did they throw so many breaking balls? He said, well, pitching coach says you get more guys out with breaking balls. Well, you do it the low A ball, but you know what? Because they, they swing at breaking balls out of strike zone. Now you go to the next level, they don't swing at their breaking ball out of strike zone. Right. Now what do you do? So they don't teach them how to pitch. And uh, But I think, you know, when we went into games in minor leagues, and of course big leagues were different because we had a lot more information, but we just set a plan. I had a pitcher and a catcher, and myself or whoever the pitching coach was, and just said, okay, this is what we got to do. We can't let, number one, we can't let this guy beat us. And that is a big thing. You go out there as a manager or coach, you got to identify the good hitters on the other team, say they can't beat you. In other words, pitch around them, maybe walk them intentionally, or throw them something that, you know, make them chase. So, Are there certain situations or innings that you would do that, or just all together, this guy's not going to get anything? Well, yeah, especially late in the game. But, I mean, early in the game, you want to get out, so take your chances. But it depends on the runners, the outs, and so forth, how much you want to challenge certain hitters. Now, every team only has maybe one or two of those kind of guys unless they're a really good team. But, uh, you know, the big leagues, they have a lot of good hitters, but they have a lot of good pitchers. So it kind of negates that situation. But, you know, you'll notice the uh, good pitchers. That's why we had a guy, Jose Lima, God bless his soul. But he was a great pitcher. He wasn't overpowering. He had a lot of walks because he walked guys intentionally, you know, unintentionally, intentionally. Like, in other words, we wouldn't guy, get a guy anything. He'd rather walk the guy and put him on first base and pitch to the next guy. And he could read hitters really well. He was great at it. But you look at his final stats, he might walk six, five, six guys a game, but probably three or four of them were like unintentional walks. In other words, he wasn't going to let, let him beat you, wasn't going to give him something to hit. So that was guys who are smart and they're confident and they can not afraid to put a guy in base because they didn't get the next guy out, you know, in a double play or, you know, pop him up or something like that. So the game has changed a lot because, you know, everything is scripted, like you said before. And, you know, they have a lot more information, no doubt about it, but Sometimes all that information does is confuse somebody. And uh, instead of using your your knowledge and the fun part of the game, like you call it, to figure out how to get somebody out, how to get out of a jam, and so forth. Yeah, there's a difference between information and intelligence. I think that's the people people that are information-driven have, have, have a – that's kind of what we're seeing a lot of today, but it's, it's okay to be information-informed but not, uh, not driven. Then you, you don't think anymore. We made me think of a scouting point, and I, I was, I was, I knew when you pulled out the three by five index cards. I said, "That's that's a man after my own heart, right there." I still use my index cards in uh, in legal pads, and I always write in pencil too, so I can erase my mistakes. But um, you know, with with scouting, you, you believe less is more. Um, I, I I take it back to you know we, we both have a background in in multiple sports, and you know as a as a college basketball coach. <laughs> I, I did a stint at Division One for a long time, um, and, and as a head coach as well. And then I was a head college baseball coach too. And my scouting was the same um, in terms of simplicity. It was, um, you know, with basketball, it was what what do they do sixty percent of the time, and we're not going to let them do that. They're going to have to beat us with the forty percent, no matter what it was—a player, a play, a style—and uh, that's all we practiced on. But I look at some of these these boards and then baseball was very similar. Like you said, they've got two hitters. 
We're not going to let those two guys beat us. The other seven are going to have to have days today. Um, you know, we're going to feel ground plays that we can make. Um, we're going to throw strikes, real simple stuff. Um, and then spray charts on the other hitters. This is what their tendencies are. So let's, you know, if you see them up, if you read a different bat angle, make the adjustment. But try not to flood their brains with so much stuff that they just get paralyzed. And I think that's what I hear you saying in regards to that, the scouting. Well, well, um, you're right there. I mean, I also want to manage a coach to, you know, don't beat yourself. Let the other team beat you. And sometimes you beat yourself by trying to be tricky or trying to do something that you really can't do, your team can't do. And next thing you know, you got problems. And when I manage the game, I always went to the game thinking, listen, I got to get four or five runs today to win. So you might play your infield a little different early in the game or a little bit different later on and so forth. But uh, once you get to the seventh inning, you got to play the game to win the game. Not that you don't in the first inning, but there's certain things you have to do. I mean, even like taking a pitcher out, if I, you know, I might not want to give up a run in the fifth or sixth inning because I know that that run might beat us. So I might go to bullpen sooner. But Again, there's psychological decisions, there's strategical decisions, and especially early in the season, I think you got to go with psychological decisions. You know, show some trust in your players, your pitchers. Let them try to pitch out of a jam. Let them hit with a base loaded. Yeah. And let, let them do their thing. Now, late in the game, last inning or two, you might have to pinch hit. You might have to go to the bullpen and so forth. But, you know, again, the fun part of the game is give a chance, give a guy a chance to excel, give a guy a chance to be the hero, and that's what it's all about. And reward guys who – you know, do that. I mean, just like breaking up a double play. And of course, you can't do it anymore. But many times after a game, I say, you know, we won the game because so-and-so broke up the double play, extended the inning, and we ended up getting two runs after that. And, uh, you know, that was what the game was all about. The game was fun. Now they're taking a lot of strategy out of the game because of the injury factor, I guess you'd call it. And, uh, you know, there's no more, not a lot of skill to turn a double play because anybody can turn a double play because you don't have to get up in the air after you throw the ball. Yeah, and it's tough. You know, you can't break up a double play, but it's a little skill involved in breaking up a double play without getting hurt or hurting the, the infielder. So that's that's where the game is going, I think. And it's it's too bad. I mean, the whole game is designed right now to keep guys from getting hurt. Well, you know what? More guys get hurt now than ever. Yeah, right, it's, it's a, like the pitch count. I mean, I think the pitch count is ridiculous. When you if you're a manager or a pitching coach, if you can't tell when a guy's getting tired, that 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 little clicker you have that should not control when a guy comes out of the game. Sometimes you're better off extending a guy. You know, let him pitch. Let him get out of a jam. Very rarely do you see in the big leagues, no less than minor leagues, a pitcher getting out of a jam in a sixth inning. There might be a handful of pitchers in all of baseball that have a chance to get out of the inning in the sixth inning when they get a rally going against them to get out of the inning and you know, go to the next inning. But, again, you got to learn. You learn that. You learn stuff how to do it. How, you learn how to get out of jams. No, I, I think that's a great point. I uh... – I was listening to a video the other day, Brett Boone, remember him, second baseman, obviously Bob Boone's. Yeah, I know Brett really well. Um, I, I liked his game, good glove, <laughs> good stick, um, had, a, had a unique batting stance, had that bat dangling by his rear end. Yeah. Um, but he, he was talking about his approach with O2, and it's it surprised me because it was different than – it to, totally different than what I did and – what I grew up learning and understanding. I never heard anybody talk about it this way, but his approach, I want to get your, your, what you would teach your players or different approaches you've had, even as a player or as a professional player, as a coach. Um, he said, Oh, two, he was sitting breaking ball off speed. He was sitting on that, that uh, curveball changeup slider, whatever, I guess, whatever the out pitch was uh, or the out pitches, he was not sitting fastball. Um, he said his job with Oh, two was to fight off the fastball and, 
he was sitting on those other pitches because he felt like he that's what they were going to go to to get him out. And it made sense as he said it. And uh, maybe I was inadvertently doing that. I don't know. But um, what, what are your thoughts on the 0-2 count? What's what's the ment- What should the mentality be of a hitter other than, hey, don't let him get that third one by me? Um, what, what would what would you teach your players? And what was your yeah, approach to the player? I agree with that. I mean, I was a hitter that was always lunging. I'd take a stride and I'd be out in front of a lot of all-speed stuff. So I did that. I looked for all-speed stuff with two strikes and try to fight the fastball off. I mean, good hitters say just look for the fastball all the time or adjust the all-speed. But I had a pretty quick bat. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was young. But I knew I just, you know, I didn't, I couldn't hit breaking balls, to be honest with you. So I looked for a breaking ball and reacted to the fastball. And I think you look at somebody good as Manny Ramirez. I mean, Manny would take a fastball the opposite way and hit and pull a breaking ball. He would never be out in front of a fastball until after he got caught with the steroids. He was, then he was cheating a little bit. And I knew he was like in trouble because he was cheating and didn't trust himself anymore. But I think what Brett Boone said, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me because a lot of times a pitcher going to throw you a breaking ball with two strikes. And now, you know, with the launch angle, I'm throw high fastballs with two strikes. But if you got a quick enough bat, and you got to be ready for it. Same token, you stay back, stay back you know, on the breaking ball. And then if he hangs it or gives you something in the middle of the play, you can whack it. And if it's a fastball, just, you know, fight it off, like you said. And I mean, Manny hit more foul balls that were the first base dugout than anybody know on fastballs. And he was tough. I mean, it's like you leave a breaking ball over the plate against Manny with two strikes, he's going to hit it somewhere hard. Yeah. It made me think again, my approach, because. Again, we you know when we're young, like you said, you're, we're young and we, we kind of go through things. Mine, um, when when I coached collegially, my my mentality with our players was we're not going down, we're not striking out. I don't care yeah. what they throw. If it's in that box, you're putting it in play, and you're gonna it's gonna be one. Basically, what I told them, it's like a boxing match. We're gonna go into one pitch battles right now, and we're we're gonna make this about toughness. And that was more of my approach. What I was looking for from a cerebral sense, I like what he said. And I actually, uh, much like I do with your podcast, I steal stuff from it and use it with my boys. Um, but I, I liked it. We tried it out yesterday with my boys when we were just doing some cage work. And uh, they thought it made sense to them. So it made me relook my approach a little bit and obviously brought it here to you today to get a thoughts. But uh, my, I, was, I had the luxury of having, and I don't know if it was because I was a basketball player too or what, but I had good hands. And I didn't miss balls. I had a short swing. I never worried about missing pitches, breaking balls, change-ups. You know, a little bit with, you know, the, the fastball change because it looked the same kind of. Uh, but I could always tell in the hand of the pitcher when they were throwing it. I don't know if, if, if you could pick that up. Their hand would drop a little bit out of that glove when they were throwing the change up because they had a different grip on it. Where fastball, I couldn't see any of their palm. Um, it was just a interesting nuance someone pointed out early on with me. But cage cage work now. Um, that's what I wanted to get to. Um, we, had, we, ended up, uh, we ended up drawing a crowd over there when I'm over there with my two boys hitting because, um, you know, they're friendly with people. A lot of people know them in town. So we'll have kids come over, watch uh, adults taking walks because we're in the warm weather. Um, and I got asked a bunch of questions about what's your approach in the cage. Now, personally, I don't like the cage. I don't mind. I like getting a little worked in there, but I like them being able to see the ball where it's going um, on the field. But early in the year, the cage is, is, is functional for us. But when you would do cage work, what, what, what kind of what was your approach in there? What are some things that you would emphasize with players and Maybe what was the buildup to it? Uh, you know, T work, flips. What, what's what's a, a good routine that you would employ with your players as as a, as a skipper in the big leagues or or a coach? Well, I think cage is very important. I think the T is probably the best device to work on your swing and uh, your contact point. I mean, it's all about where you make contact with the ball. Uh, 
Yeah, as a right-handed hitter, a ball in your inside, you got to hit the ball out in front. So you hit, you know, basically pull it down the third baseline. Ball down the middle, hit the center field, and outside, hit the right field. And just the opposite, a left-handed hitter. But the worst thing a hitter could be thinking is, I can't get jammed. If you're afraid to get jammed and you start cheating inside, you're dead because you got so many holes and away from you. If you do hit it, it's not going to go anywhere. So I think the good hitters look away and react inside. And that's where you got to trust your quickness, got to trust your swing. But I always felt I'm a big bottom hand extension guy. I think that a bottom hand gets gets out in front. It's almost even with your front foot, you make contact. And the head of the bat may lag back a little bit. And if the breaking ball might lag back and drop onto the breaking ball, as against top hand and, you know, flip it over or roll over. Because you roll over, you're in the strikes on a very short period of time. Where you get bottom hand goes through the ball, uh, you're in the strike zone a long time. The longer you're in the strike zone, better chance you have a line drive and a better chance you have hitting the ball to all fields. But uh, I think that the cage is is good if you do it right. If you just got in there and try to play home run derby, you're wasting your time. I mean, you got to think about hitting it off the, uh, the back screen, hitting the balls the left field or the opposite way, left-handed, right-handed, you know, hit the ball the opposite way. And we took batting practice on the field, certain hitters, right-handed hitters, the smaller guys, has hit a ball through the hole between first and second base. Just get get your sight to hit it through the hole. Now, the way you do that is go back to the tee and see we have to make contact, you know, where you have to put the key tee to a certain spot where you have to make contact, hit the ball through the first and second baseman hole. Now, once you feel like where you got to hit it there, now in the cage you get there and you can say, okay, I got to hit the ball when it gets to this point, which is probably outside part of the plate. But, again, you can take an inside pitch and inside out it where you – Bottom man really goes through it and still hit the right field as a right-handed hitter. But the cage, it should be a learning thing. And a lot of times I'll sit behind there and say to the guy, did you hit the seam or did you hit the, the, the laces? Now, that's tough to do, but Ted Williams could do it. Yeah. A lot of other guys could do it. But, you know, it's all about, you know, I talk about visual, visual acuity and stuff like that. And batting practice should just be visual, you know, you, you, you increase your visual skills. Be watching the ball hit the bat. The bat hit the ball. And a lot of guys, the thing about a cage, you know, especially that um, Iron Mike job, you can see it about 15 feet in front of you. You know, close your eyes, still can hit it because it's going to be where you think it's going to be. But another factor I think about a cage, I think with the uh, jugs machine, you can throw breaking balls. Breaking balls make you watch the ball hit the bat. And uh, that that's a vision training device, a vision training. So batting practice should be, Training your vision, your visual skills can improve if you concentrate on and do certain things to improve your visual skills. And batting practice is improving your visual skills, making consistent current contact with the head of the bat and putting the head of the bat in the strike zone where it should be, depending on where the pitch is, inside, outside, up or down. Yeah. we uh, <clears throat> that One of the things you mentioned back of the cage were <clears throat> one of my rules in the cage, whether it's early on in the season, which we're at now, you know, we're starting our just some, some light hitting right now, but uh, I, I harp on stay off the top of the cage, stay off the top of the cage, want to back of the net. The other thing one that people noticed yesterday with, with, with my, my two boys is, uh, and they're both switch batters. He said, they, they don't look like they're swinging all out. And I said, we, we rarely do. Um, you know, they're, they're not trying to see, you know, what their exit velocity is. You don't see any of those devices here. They're just trying to put the barrel of the bat on the ball right now. And, um, one of the other things I mentioned to them is, um, and this is kind of counterproductive. I don't know if I was like this as a college coach, but I'm like this now. Tell them, don't expand the strike zone in the cage. 
So don't expand your strikes on the case. Don't get in bad habits, you know, develop your discipline a little bit. Like you're saying that, that visual acuity, um, when, when you're watching the ball and yesterday, our focus was, cause it was, you know, we, we've been out there a few sessions now is always the first few is having, that's the hitting police call us. They, I probably didn't clean up the cage yesterday. They, uh, is keeping your head down, just kind of overemphasize. I think Nolan Arenado does as good a job as anybody in Major League Baseball of staying down longer on the ball with his eyes and his his head. So we were emphasizing that yesterday. Um, what you you like the tee? We do a lot of high tee to start off, um, and then kind of moving around based on whatever whatever their needs are. Did you employ a routine to your players? Did you encourage them to create their own? And what were some of the unique ones? You well, remember? you know, we didn't have a cage. Even when I was managing the minor leagues, we had you know a couple. Of- teams I played with or managed, we had cage, but, um, you know, soft toss is one thing, but I wasn't real big on soft toss because the ball's coming up instead of down. Yeah. And it's, it's working your swing. I think a tee is a lot better than the soft toss, but a lot of people like the ball in motion and everything, which I don't think is going to hurt you, but I think the tee is better. Move the tee forward, back, up and down and so forth. But, uh, <clears throat> again, I mean, you know, swinging a bat, like I always tell kids, there's a couple of kids around here, the grandsons and people I know and, and, you know, someone get pretty good swings. I said, I'll tell you what, you go home every day, swing the bat 100 times. You know, visualize a ball down and in, ball up and away, the whole parts of the strike zone. And swing it 100 times, maybe 10 at a time, take a break, and 10 more. But swinging a bat, you have to repeat your swing. You know, the only way you're going to repeat your swing is to swing. And, uh, you know, I think just dry swinging is, is as important as sometimes taking batting practice. But... You know, swinging, again, it's, you say that a lot of good hitters make it look easy because there's no tension. You just make it look really easy, and the, ball fly, and the bat flies through the strike zone. So, again, if you swing 100 times a day, you're going to strengthen the hitting muscles, which are your forearms, basically, and your wrists. The upper body has really nothing to do with a swing. You might be big and strong, but unless you're Aaron Judge, you know, not many guys can power the ball out of the ballpark. you got to, like, backspin it out of the ballpark, I call it. I mean, Hank Aaron, you know, he had great loose wrists. And he, he, you know, his bat was quick. And I also say, as like guys with rubber wrists, I, mean, I first uh, managed Don Madley in A-ball in 1980. And he had, when he, let, when he swung the bat, the bat was almost like a rubber after he went by and, and his wrists were loose and everything after he hit the ball. And a lot of guys are stiff wristed and they, they're kind of stiff and their, their bat slows down and everything else. But the good hitters, you watch them after they swing or as they're swinging, the bat looks like it's, the wrists are like rubber. They're like loose as hell. They're not stiff. And, a lot of no, no tension involved in that swing, and the ball jumps off the bat because they get bat speed. <clears throat> no, I like that. That that's one of the phrases we use is nice and easy on the journey. Um, yeah. With you know, with what's your? You know, we do the high tee. I'm not big on the, I guess the soft toss. People call it flips now, whatever they want to call it. Um, I do like uh, we we do some front toss stuff where. A lot of young kids right now, and I see it with the big kids because of the, the exit velocity, they start casting out whether, you know, the, the big thing now is casting out backwards and dipping that bat head. I don't want to get into that. But casting out uh, kind of across the plate where they're extending that front arm a little bit instead of pushing it out like you're, you're saying. They're extending it outward instead of uh, forward. We put a tee up with a ball on the on kind of the middle part of the plate, and I'll work, uh, I'll work darts, I call it, on the inner half of the plate on my young guys, because I find that, uh, their, their mechanism, instead of reacting to the inner pitch, they'll cast out and, you know, hit it. I, the joke I made, so we're going to hit it hard and keep it fair. That's what we want to do. Cause a lot of times yeah. that inside pitch, they cast, they get scared. Um, and they end they up, hitting it out. 
hard. And, and they, they hook it fall instead of keeping it fair. But that's that's where the bottom hand comes in. Yeah. What were there any things you know, that you did to, yeah. to emphasize that bottom hand other than just making it a mental focus? Well, one drill I used to like to do is I get behind a hitter. Okay, so he's facing the pitcher's mound. I'm where the catcher is, somewhere there. And I'll have him look back and you can see me. I saw the soft toss went to him, and he has to get his hands out and make contact. So what that does is the ball's going away from him. So you got to speed your bat up with your bottom hand as well as your top hand, but your bottom hand especially, and that gives you good extension. So if you're behind, I mean, the uh, coach is behind, you just, you know, glance over your left shoulder from the right hand, left hand hitter. And once the ball is thrown, you got to go get the ball with your bat and your bottom hand. And it's really a good drill for your bottom hand extension. And, you know, it, it takes a while to realize how hard you got to throw it and everything. You don't have to throw it too hard because you can't, you know, I can't catch up to it. But, you know, you, you can work on it. But make him where you can hit the ball out in front where he wants to hit it. But the ball is coming from behind him. So now he's got to speed his bat up to get there. And he's got to keep – if he rolls over, he's not going to hit it. He's going to, like, you know, it's going to balls going to be by. He won't, the bat won't be in the strike zone long enough to hit it. So, again – whole thing about hitting is keep the bat in the strikes in a long time, which that starts with your bottom hand. Mm-hmm. You keep it going through there. After you make, as you're making contact, your top hand takes over a little bit. But, you know, guys who hit the ball in the opposite field, it's all about bottom hand extension. Move on is perfect. You hit the ball at the left center field wall in the Fenway, and you see his bottom hand going through the ball, and uh, he was awesome. Yeah, I like that because that's your control hand, that bottom hand. And uh, Yeah, well, that's your strength. I mean, that's why a lot of times, like, I was a right-handed thrower, left-handed hitter. So I had – I have a little more power than guys my size if I was a right hand hitter because my bottom hand was a strength. That was to me that was a strength, and and that that actually controlled the length of your swing. If you had a short front arm, your swing was shorter. Now if you extended your arm way back and locked your elbow, so to speak, now you're sweeping at the ball and you got a long swing. So you know it's all about you know get a good pitch, watch the ball, be quick, and and uh, yeah, watch the ball. Like I said, get a good pitch, watch the ball, wait. Wait and be quick. Yeah. I've got a couple more questions, if you don't mind. I know we're closing up on 40 minutes. Um, That's right. There's a fielding question. Now, kind of the other side of the stick. You know, it's it's spring training time. You know, like we're, 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 we're bare bones right now. We're getting out there. We're getting our timing back, our rhythm as hitters. We're developing that mentality again. Fielding the same thing. I think it's so important to have a fielding routine <laughs> with players. We see Ron Washington's that he does. Um, I, I And – I, I kind of caution kids on doing that to some degree. It's good that they're moving their hands through the ball, but I, I had a long conversation with Ted Kubiak about f- those, those short hops and saying like, that's, you get those when your feet are out of position. So it's good to work on them, but not 90% of the time. Um, what kind of fielding routines did you do to get your guys uh, mentally ready? And what, maybe what did you do as a player mentally ready to, you know, to lead up to, you know, even before you got out there and fielded balls off the bat and batting practice. Well, the thing about fielding ground ball, it's all about your feet. You know, if you put your, if you hit your feet, so you catch the ball with your glove off your, you know, glove hand side, a little bit inside your body, that's what you got to do. If you can't get your glove to that spot, you're going to be reaching left, right, and you're going to have hard hands. Now, Frank White, who was probably one of the better second basemen ever, he used to catch in a trap hop and push it forward. Instead of taking the ball, he pushed the ball, uh, ball forward. Now, he used to teach that. I said, to me, you can't teach that. And everybody can do that. But to me, I felt your feet get you in position, feel the ball at the top of the triangle where you can see the ball into your glove. You bring the ball to, you know, bring your glove to your body, step and throw, crow hop and throw. But it's all about, I mean, fungals are just like a rhythm. When you're feeling fungals. That puts your body in position. But you have to work on your feet. And uh, I used to have a drill, and I think the same thing Wash does. 
you know, you roll balls either side, you work on your back end, or you touch your back end, but then, then you put the, uh, you know, the uh, fielder out there. It's almost like, uh, you know, one of the best drills going was like where you throw it either side and make him shuffle his feet to get to it. I mean, they used to do that pick, I call pickups, but pitchers used it all the time, which improved the coordination. Plus there is a conditioning thing. And to me, that's a great thing for infielders. Just roll a ball either side and change it a little bit. Don't go the same side each time. So the guy has to react. But when they react, they shuffle their feet like a, you know, like, you know, in basketball, I mean, you shuffle your feet when you're guarding someone rather than cross over, or, you know, go bring the feet together. So you got to keep your feet the same distance apart same thing feeling a ground ball, but it's all about your feet. I mean, if you don't have good feet, you don't have a good chance of feeling a good ground ball. I mean, I remember my first year in, in pro ball, George Kissel was our manager, and he had all the infielders sitting in the dugout. <clears throat> and he looked around, he said, uh, you'll be a shortstop. Schaefer, you're a shortstop. You're a third baseman. You're this, you're, you know. And afterwards, I said, George, how did you know those guys would be a third baseman that'd be a shortstop? He said, well, I looked at your ankles. You've got skinny ankles. That means you've got good feet. That means you can move. The guys with fat ankles, they can't move that well. So they got to play third base or maybe second base. But again, you got to develop your feet first and then your hands, you know, get where you have to get them. But your feet will take your hands to where your hands have to be. And if you feel that every ball inside your glove hand side, inside your glove hand foot, you feel every ball there, you probably have never missed one. But when you start, you know, reaching across your body or into the middle of your body, your hands get hard. If you got to reach to the left, Sometimes you, you know, don't see it into your glove like you should. And in a backhand, to me, it's just an automatic reaction. You can't set up the you know backhand. Unless maybe it's high hopper in a hole, the shortstop, maybe set up so you cheat a little bit more toward first before you catch it. But a backhand, it should be just a reaction. In other words, you try to get in front of every ball. If you can't, now you may have to backhand it. And uh, so, I mean, again, it all depends on, you know, I mean, I remember when I, Angel Burrow, when he came to, the car, uh, to Kansas City his first year, um, they told me that they don't even know if he can play short in the big leagues because he did a lot of things that weren't right. So I went out and just started rolling balls to him. Then I progressed to hitting balls to him. But he used his feet really well. He became a you know rookie of the year that year. He's a great shortstop, and he, he hit quite a bit. So he was rookie of the year. But he, he, he was such a good athlete, he, he picked that up really quick. But he was always feeling the ball on the run before that and making every play a tough play to a certain extent. But I just felt, you know, come out of control, catch the ball in the middle of your body, to the left side of your, your glove side of your body, inside your body, and uh, pick it up, throw, hop, and throw. I, I like the emphasis on that. I see so many drills online right now where, and of course, you have to have good hands, but you're on your feet 90, you know, 100% of the game. And I see it in basketball as well, where it's all these crazy ball handling drills and whatnot with the hands. But if your feet are good and you emphasize your feet, your hands, catch up and eventually know what to do because your feet and hands will work together. What are your thoughts on, I mean, you, you mentioned try to get in front of every ball and backhand as a reaction. I see so many premeditated mm-hmm. backhands nowadays where a ball's hits us to, let's say a shortstop's right side and uh, where they could get in front of it. They're setting up that backhand. Is, is there any advantage to that? Or is that just a, another in vogue uh, showmanship type of thing? I don't know. We had a uh, infield coach when I was with, over here. And he's teach guys inside the body backhand. Now I don't know why the hell you want to go inside the body backhand. A backhand is a tough is a tough move. It's not a natural reaction. It's not a natural catch. You know what I mean? So to me, you get your body in front of it so that you can feel it. And another thing is I don't like the guys like the claw. They put their uh, catching or the thrown hand up in front on top of the glove. Oh, I hate that. Tap it into the glove. I remember Jimmy Williams coming to you one day and he says, uh, "What the hell is that?" 
I said, Jimmy, all I know is that must happen. Some college guy, yeah, he's put a board on her hand to try to soften her hands up, and he had to trap it onto the board. But to me, that's not a that's not an athletic you know position. Your hands should be side by side, and as you catch the ball, your you know thrown hand comes up and grabs the ball and throws it. But again, I think that you know I don't like feeling ground balls on your knees. A lot of good infield coaches do that. Well, the thing is that takes away what you should do is moving your feet right. and move your feet. And, you know, you can have great hands, but get back to what I said before. And, you know, if you don't have good feet, your hands aren't going to work as good. Yeah. So work on your, work on your feet and your hands will get better also. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Totally. I agree. And I, I want to bring you back to Frank White. I know we're a visual show, not an audio show. <clears throat> you mentioned uh, pushing through the ball. What do, what do you mean by that? Well, he like get the trap pop. I mean, sometimes you have to get the trap pop. You got you know, push your, push your hands to the ball to get the trap pop rather than half hop. But he, he used to do that all the time. He, he just he'd take it. Yeah, instead of, to me, when you catch a ball, you take it. You take it to your body. But he'd push it away and catch it out there. And, you know, again, he had tremendous ability. And he could do that. But to teach it, I don't think so. <laughs> you can't teach some guys to do that. That's what we see online a lot right now. Cause I know obviously, you know, we have respect for Ron Washington and what he does as a coach and now a manager yeah. again, but um, that's the drills that he teaches online or that he's showing his guys where it's that, that short hop or that, that, uh, what did you call it? The trap hop. Yeah. The trap hop. Yeah. I mean, once in a while you have to do it. That's what you have to get. I mean, you better off at a trap hop than a half hop. So sometimes you got to get the trap hop by pushing your hands out. But Frank would do it like almost all the time. And, uh, I'm looking for the big hop or the trap hop. And you get the trap hop. In other words, the ball hits the ground, you catch it right there. So it hits, you know, bounces. I agree. I think that's that's what I was referring to with Ted and I talking about. And even Washington, Ron Washington's mentioned it too, that, you know, that's maybe 3 to 5% of what happens. You got to be prepared for it. So, you know, I think with if people are emulating that drill work, remember, you can't train 12-year-old kids like, you know, 25-year-old pros. Uh, they're, they're, they're at a different level. So, yeah. What what uh we about forty five minutes now we gave the audience a ton. What is there anything that you wanted to touch on with spring training coming up? Um, things that you know you're feeling would be in your blood as a player, as a skipper, as a scout. Um, before you head out and enjoy your Valentine's Day, I just would hope that one organization would get together and say, "Look, we're going to let our pitchers pitch." Now, we had to go to Japan to get starting pitchers, yeah, because we don't have enough starting pitchers in the United States. I mean. They got to let them pitch. The only way you're going to get going to be a better pitcher to throw more and pitch more. I mean, they're so concerned about injuries. So what they do, they pitch five innings, maybe 80 pitches, maybe 100 if they're lucky. Then they go in the weight room. Well, the weight room has no fastballs in there. It has nothing there. All, all, all there is in the weight room is a, a pre-injury situations. I mean, there's no doubt about, you know, lightweights and doing certain things. But a lot of these young kids – and I tell you a story about like Zach Grinke. He came to me one year in spring training. I think he was 19 years old. And him and I got along really well. He was smart, smartest guy I've ever been around in baseball, to be honest with you, smartest player. He said, Shafe, you think I lift weights? I said, why? He said, well, that's, that's why I'm a little lift weights. I said, Zach, you can throw the ball as far as anybody on the line. you got great command of your, your pitches, and you get great knowledge of what you want to do. So why would you want to lift weights and you know maybe upset the balance of your muscles? He says, that's what I think, too. So he, he goes away. He's happy what I said. He goes upstairs, I guess, talks to the general manager. He comes down. General manager comes down. Did you tell Granky not to lift weights? I, yeah, I did. I see 19 years old, maybe 20. His muscles are still developing. Why are you going to upset the balance of his muscles when he has great touch? He's got great you know, extension. 
He's got great flexibility. He's got the whole package. All you're going to do is screw him up. But well, that's our program. I said, well, let me tell you what, your program's wrong. Now, for a guy that's 28, 30, 35, maybe it's, your program's okay. But for a kid that's still growing, still getting strong by himself, you got to let the kid pitch and let him just, you know, keep him going. But, you know, Zanke's, Granke's been one of the best pitchers in baseball the last, what, 15 years? Oh, yeah, it's consistent. And he's the smartest kid that I've been around. I mean, he could be a general manager, I'll be honest with you. He could be a scouting director. I mean, he used to go, when he was in Kansas City, he used to go in a scouting meeting and tell the scouts about this guy and that guy. He used to scout himself on the side. He, he'd find guys and go see. I was, he saw certain guys in person, I guess, besides on video. But, you know, he was a genius, baseball genius. But I think he lifts weights now because he's getting older. But he's not powered lifting. He's not lifting. I mean, I go through the weight room and spring training sometimes. Guys are bench pressing like, I don't know, looks like 200 pounds or whatever. Or they're doing, you know, the big curls and stuff like that. And I'm saying, you know what? Your connective tissues are not going to support those muscles. And that's what happens. Connective tissue breaks down because the muscles are too big for them. And you go, so, oh, sure, you do throw a little harder. But what good is that? The only way you can get better is to pitch a lot. If you get hurt, you can't pitch. Yeah, they get strong in the wrong way. Yeah, right. They, they, you know, stronger, but it's not baseball strong, I call it. Well, I agree. And I, I think our current system, <clears throat> I, I won't even get started on this. This is like a year's worth of podcasts. But our education system, our sports system is preventing – the way it's set up is preventing guys like Zach Greinke, use the word genius, from yeah. from uh, prevailing, from having more of those type of guys. It's it's set up to do just the opposite, to create, uh, you know, follow the leader drones, and that's unfortunate. But uh, yeah. we'll keep banging away here. I, I think I'm glad you mentioned him at the end here because I he's been one of the most consistent consistent pitchers in baseball over the last two decades, and uh, we don't hear a lot about him, um, you know, as much as we should. I think. Well, you know. Pitching is changing speeds and location. So one day we're playing in Minnesota in the old dome there. And so Grink's pitching. I said, okay, I'm going to write down every velocity. We hit every velocity from 68 to 94, except about four. I mean, he saw his fastball. He saw like a BP fastball. Then he saw like a 94. Then he saw a curveball like a 68, 66. Then told maybe 74, 75. But he, he controlled. He had four pitches, and he changed speeds on all of them. And he hit, like I said, every speed except for like three or four. So now we got a new manager to take over. He comes in there. He's watching a pitch, and he and Granky throws like an 88-mile-an-hour fastball, a BP fastball, to get ahead. And he goes, throw the damn ball. What the hell's going on? Throw the ball. He said, that's how he pitches. He changes speed. Now he'll pound the fastball by him. And, and to me, the good pitchers with two strikes will add. They'll add to the – yeah, add. And then also, when they get a little jam, they'll take a lot off. So – that's where his change of speeds upset the, uh, the timing of the hitters because he could change speeds in every pitch and he could locate them. And that's why he was so successful. But so what happened is, you know, he, he meets Cranky after. He said, you got to throw the ball. You don't be throwing his 88 mile off fastball. You got 94. It's all 94. And, and I mean, he was a good, good, good guy, good baseball guy. But so I said to Grank, I said, Zach, Zach, I said, you know what? He hadn't seen you like I've seen you you got to pitch the way you know how to pitch. I said, that's not going to work. So 94 to try to throw as hard as you can every time. He said, well, I'll show him. I'll, I'll show him. And sure enough, he gets ripped the next time out. But I said, you got to go talk to him and tell him. And I don't want to get in the middle of it, but it was just something that not many guys have that gift that he has to be able to change speeds and locate four pitches. And, uh, and, and since his rookie second, third, fourth year, he's, he's gotten better at that. He was pretty good when he started, but, he had a great aptitude for pitching, and again, 
smartest guy I've been around in baseball as a player. Yeah, I think that's a good way, good way to wrap on that. It kind of takes us full circle. We started by talking about kids thinking and having fun with the game, and we ended with Zach Grinke and then kind of a, a real pro model that's still doing that. So encourage people to follow that model. Well, Bob, thanks so much for a great show today. It's episode 450 on the network with Touch Em All with with Bob Schaefer. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll possibly have a guest. We got, we could do mailbags for another year with the amount of questions we get in. So well, I enjoy it. You know, you're a great guest. <laughs> we get a lot accomplished this way. I mean, I'll, I'll have some more guests. I mean, yeah. I've had some really good guests, and they, oh, they like that. I think but, it's a good mix. Uh, yeah, the game is, like I said, the game is a game within a game. And the fun part is it's a game within a game. In other words, figuring out where to play, you know, what the pitch is going to throw you, all that kind of stuff as you're watching a game. But I see too many players in the dugout looking at their iPad, looking at this, looking at what happened already instead of looking at what's going on. I mean, uh, you know, in the dugout, you should watch the pitcher. What's he doing? What's he doing on, on one, two pitches? What's he doing on, you know, first pitches? And just, you know, put that in the back of your mind and use your computer that's in your head, not the computer that's on, on the desk, on the bench. No, I agree. I agree. Well, audience got a great one today. Again, keep firing questions to us. Um, we, we've got a, like I said, we've got a ton of them that we could keep rifling at, at Bob and be on the lookout for, for Bob's book, book coming out, his manual on baseball, the stuff that we talk about. He's put it into to writing. So we're going to have that uh, for purchase for our audience shortly. So um, we're excited about that. It's complicated simplicity. You're going to read it and think like, why didn't I think of that? But you got to get deep into the game as a thinker like like Shafe has for for years and years. And, uh, you know, but I encourage people to take a look out for that as it comes sale. Thanks to uh, Jaw Bats, RBG at checkout, get you a discount. Be on the lookout for Bo Nets. Um, we'll, we'll be announcing something uh, later this week. And then Kinetic Arm, Jason Collins is doing a great thing for pitching. Um, again, I said my son Tanner is using it for catching, and he thinks it provides great support for him and keeps him honest with his, with his arm slots and whatnot. So encourage people to take a look at that. We'll have more information uh, as to their website and how you can get a discount on us using it, using it as well. And two millions. Thank you for your support with, with marketing and our merchandise dropped yesterday. So take a look at the hoodies, men and women, t-shirts, uh, men and women and hats I've, from the Florida contingency, Bob, they're getting on me about dry fits. They say, we don't wear cotton down in Florida. We wear dry fits. So, um, right. <laughs> so I got to, uh, got to work on some dry fits for them, but, uh, thanks again for a great show, Bob. We appreciate you and have a good right. well, day. Well, thanks. Thanks for your help. Oh, I'm happy to be your Valentine today. <laughs> I'm going to make up. I'm going to casino, but I'm taking my wife out to dinner tonight, so I'm not really a bad guy. Well, you better win big. Better win big. <laughs> you know, depends what I win and what you're going to eat. <laughs> That's right. Except whether she gets apps or not. Yeah, right. When we see old glory flying, there's a lot of men dead. So we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads. My daddy served in the army, we lost his right eye, but he flew.